Hello and welcome to Adult Onset Horsemanship podcast with Daniel Dolphin of Dolphin Horsemanship. Today, our guest is my former apprentice, Heather Northcutt. Heather, how are you this morning? Doing just fine. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, we're going to kick things off this morning with our lightning round questions and points, icebreakers and so forth. So not meant to be in-depth, little silly, little just breaking the ice kind of stuff. So what is your favorite way to relax? Uh, reading a book with a hot cup of tea. What's your favorite kind of tea? Uh, right now, I have a new one that I just tried, and it's Amaretto. And it's absolutely delightful with just a little bit of sugar and a shot of milk in it or some Irish cream whiskey in it. Just fine. Okay. But delightful. I'm a, a vanilla chai with honey kind of guy. I'm also a beekeeper. You might not have known that about me. So we have our own honey to put in coffee or whatever. Oh, hey, that's awesome. No, I did not know you were a beekeeper. Huge fan of homemade honey. Yes. Morning or evening? Morning by far. Me too. By far. Bay or sorrel? Bay, as long as it's a blood bay. Blood bay. Not, not just any old bay. Got to be a blood bay. That trashy dark stuff. Just the. Yeah, no. <laughs> Does pineapple belong on pizza? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> what is a pet peeve that you have? Mm. I have such a long list. Um, you would probably have to compile a whole podcast just on my pet peeves in general, but. Uh, my biggest one is, uh, you know, way people put reins back or not taking care of their tack. Almost, yeah, almost lost a, a huge, a very good high school friend of mine over things like that. So <laughs> I did a whole video. I got so sick of my sons not putting the reins back. Right. I did a whole video and made cold, you know, <laughs> yep. You don't want to listen. Yeah. We'll embarrass you to all of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, tell us something unexpected about you. So you're you're a horse show judge. You have a degree in equine sciences. You've lived the life in the horse world. What is something we would not expect? Well, I would say that uh, I like to kayak and I like to cross country ski, uh, and not whitewater kayak. I'm more like float down the river, you know, enjoy the scenery sort of kayak person. Yeah. Not fight for your life every second. Yeah. No, I've, I've done the whitewater just once and I'm good. I can skip that again. Yeah. That's <laughs> cold too, isn't it? It's not like just getting splashed with water. It's getting splashed with really, really cold water. Yeah, it's frigid. And I, I just, I'm not into, you know, watching my life flash before my light. You know, I, I ride horses. I don't need to do anything else to do that. <laughs> <laughs> what superpower would you choose? Hmm. Well, I'm going to say right now with the current state of uh, the air flight, uh, uh, flying. So I could just go wherever I need to and I don't have to bother with the airline. That's what I'm going to go with. 100% would be mine and, and <laughs> just because of the current uh, situation. One of my friends is a Southwest pilot and we just had like a week ago a talk about that. He, he is after 20 years of being a professional pilot. He's not going to take the vaccine, which is his personal choice. And he knew he was going to be fired on December 8th. And he's now working on a CDL, going to be a truck driver instead of a pilot. And then like two days after that, they had the whole strike and all that stuff. So it's kind of makes me proud to be an American moment there. Exactly. Completely. Thoughts or feelings? Oh, thoughts. By far thoughts. Feelings will get you in trouble. This is why we get along well, because we're, we're pretty similar, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would think that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what is your 
th- those emotional people, I mean, are they taxing or what? Just like, golly, man. I, yeah, I cannot, yeah, cannot handle drama. cannot handle any of that. No, no. If, you, you, if you're drama, get out of here. I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> what is your favorite item of tack or horse-related duel? There's so many. I always like trying new things, but um, probably my favorite I always go back to. I've, I've got this cool little correction bit that's um, got a little toddler purchase on it. Seems to work on everything. Really like it. Favorite book or movie? Well, both. I, I like both books and movies. Um, what is any, your favorite book or movie? Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to get points off on this section. Um, but uh, anything by Zane Gray, uh, probably oh. my favorite is Under the Tonto Rim. And favorite movie would be Gone with the Wind. I'm going to hit you both on that one. Okay. That's cool. Gone with the Wind is a little surprising to me. You're definitely uh, a few generations after that. But anyway. <laughs> What is your least favorite preventable question or problem that you get sick of answering and dealing with? And it's kind of like, well, can't you people just figure this out and we get beyond this now? Is there anything like uh, that? Man, I can't think of one off the top of my head on that one. Not even as a horse show judge? <laughs> well, there's there's so many. Well, and it, like, I understand how people phrase questions as a horse show judge. You come up and, you know, well, what can I improve on? Okay, well, be more specific because when you come up and what can I improve on, yeah. I, that leaves me a whole big basket of areas to go that I probably don't want to go to. Yeah. So I need need to be more specific. Yeah. So maybe that's a preventable question. Define your area that you want. <laughs> yeah. Something you can answer as a paragraph, not a book. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, after careful consideration, I give you 83 points for your answer. So. So that was pretty good. You are currently our highest scorer on this game. Uh, so you get to choose either a compliment or an awkward silence. Your your pick. Well, let's go with compliment. I very rarely got those when I was working with you. So. Heather. <laughs> uh, wait, I wasn't supposed to be honest on this thing? <laughs> <laughs> All right. But did you learn some stuff, right? If, uh, if I compliment you all the time, then they'd start to not mean anything. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I completely. Yeah, you have to, to look those compliments out there, uh, roll those, those compliments accordingly. Mm-hmm. But, yes, I learned learned a ton riding with you and, and probably set me up for all the best success that I've had throughout the years. All right. Well, I'm supposed to be complimenting you here. So, so I will say, <laughs> Heather, that even though we worked together for probably three months, and that's been like 20 years ago now. Um, you you are still one of the people in the horse business that I probably trust more than anybody else I have come across. Uh, you're definitely in like the top five or three or something like that. I think you're a person of impeccable character. And, you know, I, I feel like I know you well enough that we got in a round pin with a bad one or something like that. I would trust you to have my back. And, and there's a whole lot of people that I know well that I would not trust to have my back. So so you're on a short list. So there's your compliment there. Well, thank you very much. I, I will take that in high regard. You bet. Why don't you give us sort of a 30,000 foot view of, of you and your your basic background and, and kind of, you know, where you came from and, and where you are now? What do you do now? Sure. So I grew up in Pennsylvania and um, growing up in Pennsylvania, I did the Western Pleasure thing because um, it was either that or, or Hunter Jumpers. That's uh, your choice growing up there. Uh, went out to college at William Woods uh, University. That's how I got out to Missouri. And um, from there, I worked several summer jobs to try to define 
what I was going to do other than just train horses for a career. And after I graduated from there, worked for several prominent trainers in the industry and moved on to setting up my own place, got out of working for other people, doing my own thing. My main with the horses, I like to break out two-year-olds. I like the young horses, but now I'm an accomplished uh, ranch horse association judge for the past about 13 years on that. I'm a professional ring steward for any of the associations nationally as well. And um, beyond that, my husband and I have 40 acres here with a lake and he trains dogs and we've got our own little horses set up, his dog set up. We've got a little girl that's going to be four in December. And that's us in a 30 second synopsis. Did I make it? No, no, that's good. It was 30,000 foot view, not 30 seconds. So. Oh, okay. Okay. I think that's good. Yeah. So I will let, why don't you tell the story of, of how we met? I, I was the first of those summer jobs, right? So yep. um, you were the, the guinea pig <laughs> yeah. or I was the guinea pig. I don't know which way it went on that one, but uh, yeah. So that's, um, I had another job that was lined up for working for a rainer training in, in Texas and about a week, two weeks before uh, I was supposed to leave to go to that. Uh, they called and said they'd hired one too many people. And I was the one that got the, the act. So my instructor at the time made a phone call and said, hey, you want to go lope some horses down in Mississippi? I was like, okay, I have no idea what that entails. Cows in Pennsylvania are dairy cows. They're not beef cattle. But I was open and game for anything. And I thought, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So I ended up down there and uh, I did a, a working interview at a horse show on the grounds there for Lee over the weekend. And you didn't send me packing. I, I really think y'all were just desperate. <laughs> that you kept me around, but I, I made it either way and had a grand time. I didn't even know you were coming. So I guess we'll, we'll name the names. We both worked for Lee Garner in Batesville, Mississippi. Uh, and Lee, Lee, Lee was a non-pro owner that had a ranch called Ranch One. And he put on a bunch of shows like, just about every weekend over there. And I was there riding the two-year-olds and the horses that the other trainers had called out for whatever reason or had blown up or, or, just kind of the, the, the dregs of the barrel. And I had been there four or five months, I guess, when you showed up. And as is pretty typical with Lee, I, I had no idea you were coming. You showed up and I didn't know who you were, why you were there, what the, oh, you, you work here? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you showed up. A little information, yeah. Showed up during a show, uh, had never been on a cutting horse before, and Lee promptly had you joined the NCHA, threw you on a stallion that had won $300,000 and put you in the middle of a show on your first, probably the first ride you ever had on a horse on that ranch was walking into the show ring on a badass stallion. <laughs> so Yeah, I had no idea what the rules were or anything. They're like, just cut a cow. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I really do not understand the lingo that you're giving me right now. <laughs> Welcome to the deep end of the pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jump and, and hope you swim. <laughs> so you, you mentioned a minute ago about you and your husband and the kennels. You want to talk about that for a second right now? What's the name and, and what sort of kennels do y'all have and so forth? Sure. So we uh, we run Southern Influence Kennels and um, he's been training dogs professionally for oh, a little over 10 years. He's been doing it a lot longer than that, um, but stepped out on his own here about 10 years ago. Uh, we do any retrievers and pointing dogs, primarily labs, but any dog that points or retrieves, 
we can handle it here. He also does the HRC hunt test, the AKC hunt test. He'll handle your dog for any of that, train it for any of that stuff. Or if you just want your regular old dog, go out there and do it. We raise about a litter a year. We, we're more about the quality of the dogs that we turn out as puppies from our kennel. Um, we're quite proud in the, the lineage, um, the bloodlines that we have. We've had hands on with them for eight generations back now. And right now we have two puppies that are left for sale through no fault of their own, but they're about six months old and they're, so if anybody's looking, but they're started on all their puppy training and they'll be ready to go here shortly in the fall. Cool. So does that mean that you get to feed dogs and clean dog kennels and throw dummies and all that good stuff as well as horses or? Uh... Oh yes. Yeah. One of my other job titles around here is being bird boy. So I've, I've learned that lingo as well on what in the world. I've also learned that I can't throw a dummy very far. So I'm more for puppy training than mm -hmm. I am for the advanced dogs. We, we have bird launchers and all that jazz for the older dogs. I'm just for puppy training. <laughs> I have always found for whatever reason that dog people morph into the horse world very, very easily. If someone is is already trained dog, and I don't mean like like uh, three commands, get in the car, come in, the, you know, but actually trained a dog to a task that they seldom have any problem with horses that that meshes very well always so they go back and forth and you know the horse shows we always joke around that it's a dog and pony show because inevitably there's just as many dogs running around at a horse show as there is horses and the vast amount of them are the best trained dogs you will see every now and then you get one but yeah. So you've talked a little bit about your judging and stewarding career. What are some of the lessons that you have learned from being on the other side of the rail? And there's there's so many. I wish that more exhibitors had the opportunity to stand on that side of the arena and see what we see. There, there's so many things that they, why, why in the world didn't the judge see that? The judge doesn't like me. The judge doesn't whatever are comments that we hear all the time. But in reality, when you're in that arena, there's only so much that you can see and so you can do. And we're seeing a lot more than you think we're seeing too. Most exhibitors, they get real narrow-minded on just seeing themselves or just their friends or just their training barn. And they aren't seeing the big picture of how they compare to everybody else for that particular class or that particular show. So there, there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of not reading your rule book my God, please read your rule book. Don't just listen to, well, my trainer said I could do this. My friend said I could do this. Pick up the rule book, educate yourself on that class. I just did a, a show over the weekend that we DQ'd four different people in one class because they had not read the rule book. They didn't know they could do X, Y, or Z. And uh, they were just listening to their trainer said, oh yeah, just do that. Well, their trainer was wrong. So that's the biggest thing. That's, I haven't done as much judging as you have. I did have a, an incursion into that world for a little while. And it was, I learned a lot from it. Uh, I also learned that a lot of judges don't read the rule book either. I really think that's where most of our fads and, and problems in the horse world starts. There's, there's tons of judges that allow things to go through that are supposed to be decuable or, or heavily penalized. And that winds up, like I, I would say in raining, we now have this fad of horses loping around with their nose between their knees. And, you know, a horse with his pole below his withers is supposed to be DQ'd in that sport, or at least that, that was the way the rule book rode 
red eight years ago, and now yeah. that's what wins. And it, you know, it's not, not only is it not supposed to win, it's supposed to be out the gate. So I, I've always felt like all of these fads that turn into perversions of a good idea, they, they kind of live and die with the judges. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about my pet peeves. And like I said, I have a laundry list of my pet peeves, but right now I cannot stand where the reining industry is going. It drives me absolutely crazy that we've spent all these years knocking on the Western pleasure people and well, should be, don't get me wrong on that. That's a whole different basket, but as much as what they did to mess up the Western pleasure horses, the rainers are messing up their horses. I've ridden behind those big horses. You know, the big time horses have multiple, you know, thousands of dollars of earnings. It, those horses pick their head up above their pole level. They freak out because they do not know. They've never seen anything up that far in the arena or out. You can't ride them out of the side of the arena. They aren't broke. They only know how to go in circles. It, yeah, drives me crazy that that's where we went with the industry. Yeah. All right, let's take a pause. I got a cat wanting out. <laughs> he cats. On the way to it. <laughs> Was it your special cat? No. She's not a pain in the butt. I mean, like oh. I, that cat follows me out to the arena. If I go on a trail ride, she'll follow me in the pasture. Um, she'll sleep on my pillow and, and and lick my head if I'm taking a nap. We got a, a bed and a TV and stuff kind of in my little office. It's like a little camp out here. But she's really not cat-like. She's she's yeah. far more dog-like than I guess that's why I like her. But well, that's what I was gonna say. If I'm gonna tolerate a cat, that it's gonna act like a dog. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's take a trip down memory lane and go back to Lee's and Batesville, Mississippi. What are some of the recollections that you have of that wonderful time of your youth? Oh. <laughs> Um, you know, long hours, learning a bunch. I did work your tail off. There's no, no question about that. Yeah. 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 I I was the willing participant in that because I was young enough to be stupid enough to go, oh, sure. Okay. Whatever time you want to get up and go do X, Y, Z and crazy things about Lee, you know, more things from that first weekend, you know, I I barely had turned 18. I think I turned 18, maybe that weekend that I was down there, but yeah, I had known him five minutes and you know, once know how old I am. And I'm thinking, this is a weird question to start with. And then he's like, oh, good. Oh, good. So you're over 18. You can go and get me some chew from the, the store. And I'm like, I guess so. I have no idea, you know, what that is. But sure, I'll walk in there and go buy you some. I didn't know there was 50 million varieties of chew. <laughs> Just, all right. Yeah, what type do you want? I have no idea. It's not for me. Please, everybody understand it is not for me. <laughs> there is that. And then yep. there was Lee. Let's see. Oh, yeah, it was because we celebrated my birthday shortly after that. And yeah, he was into microwaving ice cream. Uh, it still is the most bizarre situation. But oh, there. just for like 10 seconds. Yeah. 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 It's a little 10 second deal with that. I think you, you and I have something in common there, too. Lee was pretty renowned for his memory, and he couldn't get <laughs> either of our names correct. You were Hazel for the first three or four days, uh, and I still pick on you about that. Yeah, you're the only person, yeah, only person that knows about, well, other people know about it now, because I, you know, you were wonderful enough to send me a pair of spurs, I'd earned my spurs down there, and you sent me a pair of spurs with, with Hazel on them, and people ask all the time, who's that? <laughs> like, oh, is this cool chick that, you know, used to ride cutting horses. And, oh, yeah, stole them off of, uh, you make a story about it, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you better have a good story to go with it. <laughs> so, had you seen, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, when he started calling me Hazel, I remember saying that Barnell, like, I don't know who the heck he's talking to. I'm just going to keep saddling the horse. And he finally like, hey, you. And I'm like, what, me? What? No, my name's Heather. No, it's Hazel. I'm, All right, I guess it's Hazel for the summer. Okay. <laughs> so we had a, a an abnormal situation there and that we were training cutting horses with no cattle. We had some buffalo. Had you ever been around buffalo before, or was that your introduction to the American bison? Um, I've seen them at a distance. There was a farm growing up that did raise some bison and I enjoyed eating them. That was about what I knew about bison before I showed up down there. And I was thinking, oh man, this is awesome. You know, it's the old wet, love the old west again. So it's something great. Oh no, I get to be around bison and stuff. And yeah, they're, they're cool. But after that, I was like, yeah, they're, they're okay. That's it. <laughs> yeah. They have their place. I've always, I'll, I'll never get used to have this little pointed little tongue, like, um, representations of Beelzebub in, in old texts and stuff. I mean, they're demonic looking things. They yeah. can take the heat. That's why they, they work well, because you can work them for a long time where cattle would, would get tired and sour out and buffalo are just still going, but they, they like pant and they stick that tongue out. And it, it's, it's a little disconcerting for <laughs> until you get used to it. You know, they're, they're, they're weird little, little creatures. They really are. And could be dead yeah, really. mean and wild too. It takes them a, long time to tame them yeah well and uh, you can remember this experience better than me but i remember there for a while that you know training the two-year-olds it wasn't only giving you you know the buffalo turn for you but it was watching your back watching out for that bull yeah. that he had in their round pen that would want to charge you randomly <laughs> yeah they were, as i recall they were i think four bulls and three or four heifers or two bulls and three or four heifers and the alpha bull was was a mean Son of a gun, yeah. He would come in there, and, and and they have some horns that are not to be played with. They could come and disembowel a horse in a heartbeat. So yeah, we we had to we had to watch out for that sucker. I was glad the day we got rid of them, and I hauled them off for sure. Yeah. So in addition to your judging and stewarding, you are a bona fide world champion. You want to tell us about that? I am. Yes, I'm. Quite proud of that. So again, with the American Ranch Horse Association, um, but I'm a world champion in junior ranch trail and uh, also top five in the ranch riding that year. It was supposed to be the opposite direction. Had no intentions of winning the trail. I went down there to win the ranch riding, but uh, as things go, and it, it was Colt that I'd got as a yearling. He was a, a long yearling whenever I got him and I paid fuel money to get him to my house because he has a huge parrot mouth pretty much every college I think or university in about three states has a picture with parrot mouth is how bad it is but <laughs> he is what he is and I was I just figured I'd take a chance on him if it didn't work I'd just move him down the road and move on another one but kept him around so he was four and that he's year a that we bay, right so that that's sealed oh he is a right. if he'd have been and dog food for yeah. you <laughs> yeah I would have been good luck to you buddy but yeah no he's he's a blood bay Yep. Yeah. See, it goes back to that again. Yeah. And the sucker, it, well, he's, he's double bred highbrow hickory, got a little peppy in there, some King Fritz. And uh, so he can be a little bronchy when he wants to be. Yeah. So the night before our trail class that we're supposed to show paid trail warm up, everybody horse show knows that you go in there, you pay money, you get five minutes to ride around the trail obstacles. The first five minutes I was in there, I spent the entire time with him crow hopping from obstacle to obstacle, trying to hurt me. Then the second 
five minutes we came back through and he spooked at every obstacle that time. Mind you, this is taking me all day because I'm loping in between times. By the time we made it to the third one, we at least made it through all the obstacles. But yeah, we come in the next day and I'm like, I, I don't really care where we place this son of a gun is going to go through every obstacle <laughs> and uh, he's going to like it. And I think that's what kind of made the difference because they decorated by that point. He went to spook at the first trout over obstacle. It was a little wagon wheel trout over obstacle. It's really cool, pretty and everything. And he sucked back and I had one of those moments of, you know, you're going to die here on this hill, buddy, or you're going over it and laid spur to him, tried to find his liver. And we, we went over it, cleared it like a saddlebred. Just, man, we had our feet right up in <laughs> It's the hazel spurs. Th those are magical spurs, huh? That's it was the hazel spurs. It's true enough. It's true enough. <laughs> so now, yeah, they're even, you know, they're world, you know, world champion spurs, too. There you go. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so, that's my story of my world champion who now has no problems taking the lead liner around. He's decided that's just fine. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Well, there's a good lesson in there for people. A lot of times people are... are or timid to go to these big national shows and the big national shows are just made up of people that are timid at their local shows. And it, it's, um, you have as a much better chance of doing well at a big national show than you probably think you do. So yeah. even on a fluke and you're even saying it wasn't like a flawless run that you made, you had essentially a, a fault or a bulk right there at one obstacle and still won the world title with it. So, so folks hanging out there, go, go try something. And likewise, you, you thought you were going to dominate in another class and then had a mishap been there and, and wound up, you know, still respectable, but not, not where you expected the place. Yeah, we, we were fourth in that class. And it was it was simply I ran out of horse. It was just the way that the class had run. We were in the second go of the split and um, the judge had, had run us a lot. Things you learn as an exhibitor and then as a judge is the judge had ran us pretty long in that second splitter extended trot. And I was out of horse. But I had to turn right around and do it again in the finals. I had a lady run into me right off the bat. Two of the judges saw that. Two of the other judges didn't see it. You know, it's just stuff that happened. Yeah. Happens. Yeah, absolutely. We're but yeah, going back to that, what you were saying there on the, yeah, those world shows, it's more of a mental game than it really is anything. Because there's so much just waiting around and waiting to go show and having your horse timed just right and not timed right and but go all in. That's the other thing from a judge's perspective. You're there at the world show. Don't be timid. Don't be you know, careful about it. Lay it on the line. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But otherwise, lay it out there. Yeah. yeah. What's the worst that can happen at that point, right? Yep. Exactly. Yep. I, I completely agree. And even if you don't win, that judge will probably remember you as the lady that just laid it to him and let it all hang out last time and then when you pop back up in their view two years later they're going to be like oh i know yeah. her all right i can't wait to see this you know it, those yeah. kinds of things happen for sure yeah judges get around we remember things and we're always you know we're always positive we're always rooting for people so just give us something to mark you up a plus half a plus one you know we hate to be marking minus halves but yeah I'll say another, I guess, while we're talking about that, I think probably the single biggest game changer in terms of people being able to learn and improve their horsemanship in the last century is the advent of video. Oh. And everybody's got a phone that's got a you know camera on it right now. And, and you should always try to have people video you ride because 
what you think it went like and what you go back and watch might not be very close together at all. Um, yeah. And not only that, like have somebody videotape you, definitely get somebody to give you some advice on it. I think you do some of that, the video stuff mm-hmm. coaching. Yeah. So get somebody to get you some coaching on it off of video, but also videotape who you think, who you think is a great rider and videotape them so you can do a comparison. Like, okay, this is what their video looks like. This is what my video looks like. And you have an idea of where you're going forward, where your goal is. That would be another thing. Yep, very, very good. Videos, of, it, it really helps people. There are tons of people that, that ride and they're, they're doing things. Maybe when they get in the show ring, all of a sudden their hands get real high or something and, and they don't know it. And then you watch it and you're like, you know, Oh my goodness, that's what I look like when I'm, or, or maybe I had the opposite problem when I was apprenticing and got to the point where I was starting the show that also coincided with a major breakthrough for me and feeling the feet. And all of a sudden I could, I could feel a whole lot more of what was going on underneath me and it made me insecure because I knew there was a lot more little mistakes. And this was when cameras were, you know, about this big and fit on your shoulder and all that kind of stuff. And one of my customers videoed me and then I was able to watch the video and I was like, man, you can't see any of that stuff I'm feeling now. It's not nearly as bad as what I thought it was. And and so it, it actually helped give me a little more confidence that I didn't look like a monkey riding a football out there or something. It, it was, you know, it was actually okay. So Videos and yeah, no. cool. Yeah. Yes, but and I had kind of one of those moments too, where my husband he'd get off to me, you know, about me when I'm showing. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist on everything, but I was terrible about you know if one wasn't giving me a hundred percent in the show ring, I was going to fix it right there and be done with it. And my husband kept giving up. You know, first couple of years we were going to stop that, stop, knock it off, and that's he finally had videotaped me the one time. He's like. It was fine. It was not that bad. 99% is fine. Just take it. You don't have to have 100. Yeah. Don't blow a class over just that. So, yep. Uh, I think some of the most successful professionals, their strongest suit is that they have a poker face. And they don't, yeah. just, you know, if I'm riding one and they do something I don't like, I, I'm pretty sure <laughs> you can tell on my face that I didn't like something that just happened right there. And some yep. of those guys can ride through some god awful crap and look like it, it was just what they were wanting to have happen, you know. So they can uh, show through it, yeah. And yeah, it you can you can get through in a class, you know. If you do a major thing, it's not going to work, but you can cover up some stuff being a good showman out there. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I know this is something we talked about before, and I'm I'm gonna try to lead you into it. But <laughs> is there any particular advice you would have? for people showing as to like maybe the first thing you would advise them to concentrate on in in a class. Yeah. And this was some great advice that I had gotten while I was ring starting for a reigning horse um, show and a a reigning judge, but particularly, you know, for her, but for everybody, aim for 70. If you're first time shower or you're novice showing rookie showing, they call it in the rainers and you're just easing into that stuff, then you don't go for broke. That's not the time to go for broke. You need to be focusing on like in the rain and make sure your circles are coming around and hitting your center line, that you're not getting half point penalties, dragging a lead, or, you know, you're missing a marker or missing whatever. Penalty points will knock you and, and just absolutely kill your run and trail you know, actually lope through the poles before you get to the horse show. Um, so you're not dropping legs and rolling poles and throwing obstacles everywhere. 
just aim for 70. Once you're consistently hitting 70, then you can start working on the, the real showman's part of it and advancing it and, and working on plus halves. But aim for 70. That's where you need to be for a while. I would always tell people be penalty free. It's uh, even you're, you're talking kind of about those types of classes, but even like a barrel racer, if you knock a barrel down, there's no way you're running fast enough to make up that five second penalty. So, so be penalty free. Once you can consistently be penalty free, then crank things up a little bit and start, start pushing a little here and a little bit there. But one of the reasons I never got big into showing is when I was in the apprentice stage, I had a bad, bad, bad case of nerves. Um, I, I would go in there to show a horse and I couldn't tell you what my name was. I couldn't tell you what color the three cows I just cut were. I mean, I just, it just blanked off for me. And I think, I mean, at this point I've ridden in public enough that it doesn't bother me, but you got, you have to have your wits about you at some point and you have to go that far along before you, you start pushing things around and, and kind of swinging your arms a little bit and, and aiming for a little bit more. Yeah. No, I do remember a couple of times that I saw you show down there at least that was, yeah, you, you come out and you, know, you just had this blank stare and you'd ask, I'd ask you something and it, you, what, huh? What? <laughs> yeah. Well, a couple of the horses I was having to show out there too were. They weren't easy ones by any means. We, we had one that was absolutely terrified of cattle. So you try to drive him into a herd and bring one out and he was shaking like a leaf. Uh, and then we had another one that came back from another trainer that was running off big time. So, and that's kind of my introduction to people and they don't necessarily know the horse. <laughs> it might look like that guy just as, anyway. All right. Yeah. Any other lessons from Mikey? You had, a, you had a bit of a medical adventure with him as well. Yeah. He's been a, a learning adventure. That's, I think that's why he stuck around so long. He's kind of ingrained to me, but uh, the year before we won the world, he colicked uh, real bad, had to have surgery. Thankfully, obviously made it through surgery and recovery just fine. But that was a, a, an experience. I'd had him at a boarding barn and they were changing managers. The new manager coming in was not attention detailed at all and was not cleaning auto water. So we found out things about Mikey, like he has to have clean water. He's very much a prima donna about that because he just quit drinking. <laughs> he just flat. It's not clean enough. I'm not going to drink. See what that does. Well, that's exactly what it does. Laid him out on the surgery table. And it, it is a completely different experience watching your horse be slick, clean, open, and have their guts rolled out there while they're finding where the blockage is and putting everything back where it's supposed to be. And yeah. So do and you, when you haul them now, do you do Gatorade or Kool-Aid or anything like that to homogenize the tastes? Or I haul my own water. Okay. Yeah. I even go to the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't take any chances. Yeah. I, I tried doing the Gatorade with him and he was, no, he would not, wouldn't touch it. So I just I, take my own containers of water. <laughs> you, you hear about that trick a lot. I have had hell trying to get horses to drink Gatorade. I, I can only think of one or two that actually we could ever get them to drink it. I know they have some of those electrolyte packs and stuff that maybe aren't as flavored, but I have not found getting a horse to drink Gatorade or Kool-Aid to be an easy task by any stretch. I think it's easier to get them to drink out-of-town water than it is to drink. I completely, I completely agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I will, I'll put them on electrolytes if, it, if it's really hot in the summer and stuff and I'm hauling somewhere. I'll put them on like apple lights or whatever. 
a couple weeks before and keep them on through it. But yeah, I have my own water. I don't mess around. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have, we've talked a little bit about horses now. Are there some other special horses in your past, I guess, special good or special bad that you, you have experience with that was noteworthy or you learned something from or name drop that you want to do or, or any, you started such and such a stallion that won such and such a money or anything like that? Well, um, yeah, it's, it, I, I kind of pride myself on the fact that the vast majority of the horses that I've started went on to have careers, not necessarily being the, yeah, you know, so-and-so's big stud or whatever, but the novice amateur world champion in trail and you know, leading the, you know, the nation high point walk trot, you know, 13 and under kid. So I, I think it's more that I've, I've certainly ridden and trained several world champion trail horses. And, you know, I, I rode for a trainer that that was his niche was the Western riders and the, the trail. And that's where I really fell in love with doing the trail classes was with him. But, and we tra- trained a lot of horses for him that went on to be, to be world champions. But I, I like the ones that, you know, I see him come back and now I'm, you know, I'm old enough that I'm seeing him, you know, 10, 15 years after the fact when I started him. And they've got this little kid on that doesn't know which way is up, doesn't know left from right. And the horse is saving their life out there. Um, that to me is, you know, made my day more than anything. Yeah. I know what you mean. I, I really like in cutting. Most of my favorite horses have actually been the turnback horses and the ranch horses because they just, they fulfill such a role and people think about show horses as being athletes. Well, show horses are athletes for 30 minutes of warming up and two minutes of show and turn back horses have 15 hour days. You know, I mean, they're the ones that are really, they don't get a whole lot of the credit, but they're the real workhorses of the deal. And I've always kind of admired that about them too. It's, it's not always about the popularity or the, the awards or the accolades. It's kind of about, the, the real job that they get done, you know? So. Yeah. And they do it, you know, three, four days in a row. It's, they don't get a day off of the show horses, you know, Oh yeah, you get all day off after your class and them turn back horses. It, there's something, and this is just from ranch horse stuff. You say turn back horses and turn back holders. That is a whole different science that is not taught is how to turn back correctly. And it will blow your run in a heartbeat if you have bad turn back help. So make sure who you're hiring is good, A, and then, yeah, that they're working for you and not for your competitor. That would be lesson number two. <laughs> I think you taught me that lesson at one point, but. <laughs> I remember when I was doing cutting horses, I stopped teaching the word woe. And that was because of one particular show at Lee's. I was turning back and a lot of people won't understand it. In cutting, there's, there's one person showing there's two people behind you holding the herd, and then there's two people out in front of you pushing around the cow that you're cutting, and they're called the turnback men. So you have herd help, and then you have turnback help. I was turning back. Well, I noticed, you know, the, the the herd help and the guy showing are competitors. They're helping one another, but but they're both showing in this class trying to win. The guy holding herd, every time the guy showing came to that end, kept saying, whoa trying to stop his horse while he's in the middle of showing. And that guy was concentrating on his work. He didn't notice it, but I was in the perfect position to see it and everything. And I was like, well, son of a, yeah, I 
All right. Lesson learned right there. I'm not going to put a cue on my horse that somebody 15 feet away can affect and, and, and might mess my, you know, probably wouldn't happen, but you just, it just takes that once. And so it, it's a great deal because you do all kind of have to keep each other honest, but you are also at their mercy at, at certain points. And there are definitely some, uh, I've, I've always said the best and worst people in the world are in the horse business. And there are some I do not want to be at the mercy of for sure. Cause yes. <laughs> they're going to stick you a hundred out of a hundred times, you know? No joke on that one. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've seen it happen like that. Whoa deal with the, the pleasure horses too. I've watched people going around on the rail and you'll see somebody that's there to cut their throat on the outside. That'll say, Whoa. And for a split second, man, that horse shuts it down. Yep. <laughs> yeah, if the judge happens to be watching, you just broke If it. you happen to be watching, boom. Yep. <laughs> People don't realize that kind of stuff goes on, but it, it absolutely does. It shouldn't by any means. It shouldn't happen, but it does. So just be aware of it. Yeah. I have always believed there needs to be a law made. I, I like to call it justifiable assault. Where <laughs> you could go beat the mess out of that guy between the trailers and the cop shows up you go look this is what happened and the cop's like oh yeah it's totally understandable all right we're, we're cool don't go on about your day sir you on the ground there hope you learned a good lesson here right we kind of need to have yeah. a, little, a little of that element in our world sometimes and it'd be a, a much better place to live i think oh it'd be yeah it'd be so much better yeah completely agree <laughs> Do you have a spectacular failure that you learned from, or that's just a funny story that you'd like to share with us? Oh, spectacular failures. Oh, um, so I, I had this client that she liked to get horses from the sale barn and that was her gig. She, you know, her husband used to get horses from the sale barn, whatever. And she picked up this little filly, well bred, little pleasure, pleasure mare. She brought it to me and all right, you know, should be just fine. We started her out and, she, I wouldn't say she was bad, nothing. There was no red flags in this mare as we were starting her. But about the time that I hit the, um, you know, long line and which I do a lot um, with the long line and stuff on the ground. But anyway, this thing went berserk. And I've had ones freak out the first time the lines hit them. And usually they calm down after a couple circuits around the round pen. She was the one that had no ability to stop. She was going to run until she killed herself. And it didn't matter who was in her way or what was going on. And she did. She, I was just turned her loose and let her run. And she ran until she fell down heaving uh, was when we got her stopped. And, you know, it's one of those deals. I told the lady, I was like, you know, I'm not to the point in my life. I'm not going to get hurt over this deal. I have no, (laughs) somebody else can deal with this. I'm totally fine with, if you just want to go put her down, I would advise that, but you know, she called up a, a guy that worked on Bronco horses and sent him over there. And that horse put that guy in the hospital. And at that point she decided that, yeah, we're putting the horse down. So it was a failure, but it was also a learning experience of, yeah, you, sometimes you got to back away. You got to know where you're at. So I've had about eight or nine in my career that I don't think anybody could have fixed. There, there was some, when we, we talk about a horse having a screw loose, but there's a difference between being a little bit crazy and like a total other animal and i've had eight or nine of them that were that way that you know i just don't think we're going to be something was not right with that animal physiologically or or something and you know we have people that have schizophrenia and all kinds of other it it stands to reason that there's going to be a certain percentage of horses that are going to have something legitimately going on in there that we don't know about that that makes life unpredictable so yeah and they're just flat flat dangerous and that you know i i wish people would do that 
Yeah, I give a lot of credit to that lady because she did. She made the decision that this thing is going to be hurt somebody. Don't know, you know, don't care how well it's bred. We don't need to go breeder because Lord only knows if it would pass on to the next generation. Let's take it completely out of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is that one, one of those horses that was that way was a Lusitano that was a buckskin, which in that world is a very rare color. Yeah. And the lady that had her then, I believe, took her and was starting to breed her. I later, from a different incident, I called the farm that she got it from and come to find out that the mare was sold as don't, you know, pasture ornament only kind of a don't breed her, don't, don't try to ride her. They already knew that there was big problems there. And, and uh, you know, so some people get told the truth and just can't believe it. And I guess that was the situation that that they were in there. Yeah. Well, and I had one of those weird deals when I was at William Woods, but um, with the driving classes was one of the classes I took there. And I, I do enjoy driving, but they were only driving saddlebreds. And I said, well, why can't we drive the quarter horses on the Western string? They said, that's fine. We had a Palomino that came in that was a hunt seat horse. Had the trainer said that it drove. So we're like, okay. And thankfully that, you know, the instructor for the driving class was like, well, why don't you show everybody today, Heather, how this is supposed to go on when you just start one out. So I went, you know, was going through the steps of yada, yada, and then you put the cart on and, and you don't get in the cart and you just walk along and you have a head person and all this stuff. Well, the first turn we made with that sucker and the shafts hit his body, he went berserk, went skiing across the arena with all of us until we could get buckles undone. Turns out, yeah, the trainer didn't mention the part that, yeah, he'd been drove, but he'd been part of this horrific accident at Palomino World and had been run into. Yeah, so the stories don't come down and <laughs> get yourself in a train wreck. It's amazing some of the things you find out after the fact that, yeah, you just like, how could you not have told someone the truth about that? I mean, that you, you knew yeah. people were in danger and yet you, you decided to withhold information like that that has always just blown my mind i mean it, yeah, it, just be up with honest about it <laughs> so if you could go back in time and talk to 16 year old heather about her future horse life what advice would you go give what do you wish you had known then that you know now i'll take take more opportunities and just enjoy the ride there's so much stuff and uh get to the get to the cutting horses and figure a way to to stay there longer with the cutters <laughs> so uh, much more fun that saved your life I think that that coming yeah. to work you you were I mean my recollection of you was you were a western pleasure horse girl and and whenever you started riding those colts I mean that first month I was probably constantly going okay let's let's move him out come on we need to we need to push forward. him forward he needs to come work <laughs> the point is to stretch his legs right now let's let's go somewhere you know so uh and I'm just pony loping around yeah <laughs> I also but, remember like, you have that little laugh whenever you started working <laughs> cattle not not in the show in front of 800 people but you know, Monday morning, you and I are out there working the two-year-olds, and, and I, it seemed like you giggled every ride for the, you know, for a good long while. So, good yeah. times and good fun. And that gum, what's more fun than chasing a cow around on a horse? You know, I mean, that's... Well, exactly. And one of those times that I was showing, thrown into a class to show, and I remember Zeke over there, though in the corner, they would turn back for me pretty much every time, and um, yet. I was riding Miss Lady's mare, just come back from flushing embryos out of her or whatever, and she was not 
lope down at all. And that first cow, I lay my hand down and she goes crow hopping the whole way across the arena and back across. And Zeke's just back there laughing at me. He's like, well, you might as well just keep laughing. Because I was, I was laughing. I was like, it was a whale of a good time. And no matter what had happened, <laughs> it's like, just keep laughing. You'll get a couple points for that. So I'm like, all right. <laughs> I, I remember, this is still like one of my most embarrassing moments of the horse world I've ever been, was one of those first times when you were showing we had a turnback horse at that ranch. That's one of those mysteries to me. Like I can picture him in my head. He was a blown up cutter. I don't know where that horse lived. I mean, he was owned by the ranch, but it wasn't like you and I used him on a daily basis. I don't remember what paddock he was in where it's like, he only showed up for shows and he, he disappeared. Was, you what? He would just appear. Yeah. He would just appear. I'm like, I mean, I manage this ranch. I'm on every square inch of this thing. Where is this horse when there isn't a show going? He just showed up at the horse at the shows. So the first time I ever rode him, Lee's like, that's our turn back horse. Go climb on him and, and help Heather. And I go out there and I'm, I'm holding herd. So I'm back in the herd. And he was so cow fresh. He was just fixing the, if I had untracked him at all, he was going to full on splatter and snort and the whole nine yards. And you're coming over there and, and Zeke's on the other side. And he's like, you know, helper, you need to push her out. I'm like, I can't move. I'm, I'm, <laughs> if I move this horse, you know, everything's fixing to blow up here. It's going to be bad. And I'll I have a bigger problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so good, good memories, I guess. But I, that was one of those times I was just like mortified. You feel like the whole world is looking at you right now and you're, you're stuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So on, we've kind of talked about the past and the present on, on future stuff. Uh, I'm a real big fan of self-learning and I know you are as well. What are you still learning? Do you have any resources that you would point people at books you really liked or videos or websites or, I mean, whatever kind of resources that you think would be good for folks? Yeah. I'm, I'm always looking and always, always like watching people's videos that they put out there just to see, I love, you know, being able to go and ride at a clinic and stuff like that. You're certainly right up there on the top. Every time I get a chance to ride with you, you always, always give me some advice of like, hey, why the hell aren't you doing that? Oh, okay. Well, that would be a good point. But yeah, always keep learning. That's really good advice right there. Let's start with that. But pick out who you're, who you're going to go with. For me, I just did a clinic here this past year with Craig Johnson. I thought he was phenomenal. Um, his videos are great. You can break them down and get as much as you can out of them. He, you know, has little, you know, do this, do this, do this. And if you mess up somewhere along the line, start back at A again and work yourself back up through again. One of my, always my hangups has been lead changes. So pretty much anybody that I can pick their brain on lead changes to try to figure it out is still a mystery to me. I'm not sure why. I just, I have a roadblock on lead changes. So I, and I just, I don't have much time to read books. I have a stack of books that I need read, but I don't get much time on them. Yeah, it's all, I can say that's as I'm a big reader, but I haven't read. I probably don't read a tenth as much as I used to since I have kids because you're, you know, homework and baths and, and it seems like uh, time you're off of work, it's supper and you, you, you got a job until 10 p.m. And then last thing you want to do is, is uh, turn a light on or your spouse is not real happy about you turning the light on to read or something. So yeah, I'm well, not on my reading. 
Yeah, you read for about five minutes and then you find that you fall asleep. You know, you, you've hit, I don't know about you, but I've hit that point where yeah, I'm the old person asleep in the chair. So <laughs> I'm bad about that. Or, or the opposite is if uh, like most of what I'm learning is nonfiction kind of stuff that I really do have to think about. But if I get into a good bubblegum for the brain sort of a book, I, I might start reading that at bed. And next thing I know, it's three o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, holy crap, I'd be up in two hours. What? what I was not smart. What have I done? Yeah, the ones that are such easy reads, you just blow past them. I call them the airport books because uh-huh. you pick them up at the airport and they're such easy reads. But yeah, yeah they're really bad about sucking you in. <laughs> Murder mystery or something like that. And uh, yeah. yeah. So at this point in your life, what does success in the horse business mean to you? What What's your next set of goals that you're trying to work toward? What am I working toward? For me, on it, and this is just kind of kind of, but I'm, you know, we're just setting up here on our 40 acres. We haven't got a barn or an arena. Supposedly, it's supposed to happen here in the next month or so. They're supposed to break ground on it for me. But just looking at getting another two-year-old in, another three-year-old, get some younger horses back in again, and and get rolling turning them out again. I like the young horses. There's the Iowa quarter horse does a fraternity that's just for ranch horses. And so one of my goals is I, I have to find a Palomino two-year-old that's nominated for that fraternity because then I can show over to the Palomino world show and I can take it to the Iowa fraternity show, <laughs> knock out a whole bunch of things and then sell it, send it down it, you know, the road to its next, next deal. But that would be the couple goals that I have coming up. And then, of course, my horse is being taken over by the lead liner, as I mentioned a couple of times, mm-hmm. learning the ins and outs of lead line. Well, so. good stuff. I mean, if it's good enough for the Spanish riding school, then it's good enough for our kids, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. We got it. And yeah, she she adores it. She loves it. My horse, as I said, he may try to bronk me off. He will never do anything with her. I've seen him just hold us together, be on a, a hairline, just. I want to go any time now, but he, the, the munchkin's on me, and he'll wait until she's off, and then he'll blow a cork, so. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, you were talking about the Palomino world. I'll just tell you, I've got a, a mare. Well, you know, it's the one uh, you helped me get the papers on that was left with me. <laughs> she's off getting bred to a Bayrone ranch horse kind of stallion right now. Don't know if we're going to get a Palomino or a Roan or, or probably just a plain sorrel or bay or something out <laughs> Probably a damn thorough. <laughs> Lightning strikes. Oh. We may have you fixed up for a Palomino Ranch horse uh, horse here in a few years. So there we go. Well, yeah, yeah. Just find out if the stud's nominated up to Iowa, and that'll click that little box off too. And oh. yeah, because it, you know Palomino. That's the great thing about them. It doesn't have to be a yellow horse. It can just be Palomino bred, and oh. you can still show it. Yeah. Didn't know yeah. that. Uh huh. Yeah. So there's a lot of sorrels and chestnuts that show up. There's a lot more of those than there are yellow horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't. I haven't messed with the palabinos at all. That's that is my least favorite color of of horse. And then here I've got this mare that uh, she's probably the best bred thing I have ever owned. And yeah, I could I could take her or leave her. But anyway, that's how it goes. Yeah, I've had zero luck with yellow horses too. So. <laughs> All right. Well, Heather, I do need to get to our sponsor for this particular episode. We are sponsored today by the Panama Sport Breast Collars. Panama Sport Breast Collars is owned by the same parent company that brought you the original banana hammock. Panama Breast Collars knows where lady equestrians sweat 
With their patent-pending airflow and hay reduction designs, Panama Breast Collars has your equine obsession fully supported. Panama Sport Breast Collars for ladies, available in sizes mini through heavy draft. And sign me up for one of those, because by God, any way to keep the hay out of places they shouldn't be, I'm I, all for it. <laughs> I think I have, the, this whole podcast was created just so that I could go after the sponsors like that right there. That's the that's the yeah. most fun part for me. It's Whenever I have a video in mind that I'm going to shoot, the blooper reel is always the first thing that comes to me, is, is how, you know, what, what's going to go wrong and how I'm going to twist that into a funny well, let's be honest, that's, you know, the favorite thing that everybody likes to see is the outtake from different shows and movies, right? Yeah. It, they, they, uh, they do not go to rodeos to see good rides. They go to see big rides. Yep, there's no doubt. Yeah, you don't, go to, you don't go to a hockey game to watch the hockey. You go to watch see everybody beat each other up. So, yeah. yeah. This comes to me because I was at uh, Louisiana Tech, my alma mater, doing a clinic yesterday. When I was at Tech, I was working for a cutting horse trainer, but I also had my own pasture where I kept my personal horse and then I would take on a colt or two and ride it over there and there was a, a trainer around there that sent me a half Clydesdale blue roan paint I've never seen anything like this horse in my life oh, okay. uh, I wrote a short story about him called Angel but I mean like 16 and a half hands 1400 pounds big feathered feet it was a young six or seven year old ranch gelding out of West Texas was a little girl's horse and the little girl got along with him great. And one day her dad decided to climb on him and show her some stuff. And he, I think the horse spooked, he falls off. He gets right back on. Now the horse is in a bad way. The horse bucks him off and breaks a couple of ribs. So yeah. him back to the barn. That was the horse. That was the last time he was ridden. He'd been through like four or five trainers since. And I'm, 19 or 20 and bulletproof and all that good stuff and i get it to the barn and i saddle him up for the first time and i go to lead him to the round pin and he sex back he pulls the rope out of my hand and goes to bucking i've never seen a horse do this in my life but he was bucking like hell and spinning around like a bull and I use these big, heavy, three-quarter-inch manila lead ropes. He was spinning so hard and fast that rope was not touching the ground. I mean, he was just getting it. I, I know if, if you'd have been watching me when this happened, I'm standing there with my mouth open looking at him like, holy crap, what am I going to do with this thing? And uh, I, I worked at that point. I lived in a house that was owned by a big-time rodeo lady. She was a barrel racer, but she had all the connections. So I had already put a call into Harper and Morgan big time rodeo company at that point that we might have a legit bucking horse for them. That's going to be like the spectacle of the, the saddle bronc or bareback or wherever. Him, yeah. I, yeah. I did. I did groundwork with him for like three or four days, but never climbed on him. So I called two of my buddies and I'm like, all right, I, you know, I have class until two or whatever. If y'all could meet me at the barn, I would appreciate it because there's a good chance this horse is going to stomp my guts into the ground. And I'd love somebody was there to call 911 and all that good stuff. And not yeah. the kind of thing where the neighbor smells something funny in a week, you know. <laughs> so, so I call them, you know, I let them know, I'm supposed to meet them there. I show out there, there's like 40 people at my pasture. I don't know if they sold tickets or whatever, but it's like the entire College of Animal Science. Has well, of course. Watch me. everybody wants to see this, <laughs> and no pressure or anything. 
and I, I climbed on him and uh, I was not mentally prepared to put a ride on him. I got on him and I turned him in a little circle to the left and he, he walked in a little circle to the left and in no way did that appear in my mind as a possibility of, of what could happen. Rode him in a little circle to the right. He walked in a little circle to the right. I turned him left again and then he blew up. <clears throat> and um, it was one of those things there. I did not have the skill to ride this horse somehow everything aligned and, and I happened to still be on top of him when he got done. I'd blown both stirrups and lost one rein. I mean, if he'd have coughed, I'd have fallen off after that. Right. He stopped. And do you know that horse never bucked again? I rode him for a, a solid month after that. He never tried it again. He had bucked off a bunch of people covered him one time, which was blind luck. And boom, he was done. He, he was an exception to every rule I know about horses. Yeah. Yeah. But, <clears throat> pretty cool horse. sometimes it's better to be lucky than good every now and then it saves your oh. life <laughs> yep that, that was pure luck there was no uh that's one of the things i wish i had a video of you know because oh yeah you were saying back in the day yeah nowadays everybody's shown up and had their phone out there's like two of my best friends in the world and i mean when you invite a bunch of people to watch your buddy get hurt that's like that's done dirty you know what i mean that was that was not the intention those are those are true friends you know those are true friends whenever they do that <laughs> they're probably charging five dollars at the gate to come in and watch the game die yeah <laughs> take a little side bet over on the side you know make a little cash why not <laughs> uh, I, I tell you what since i uh, i brought that story up i'm gonna link to it in the show notes so if anybody wants to go read that short story it'll yeah. be out there well why don't we we'll go back to our past a little bit do you remember any of the horses that we were riding at Lee's there? We had a, a string of six or eight two-year-olds that should be somewhat ingrained in your head. What, what were your thoughts or recollections? I just remember them all, them all being good. They all had their own little set of quirks as all two-year-olds do. And, you know, I, I don't know what all they went on to do after we were there, but let's see, Arkansas stood out just because of his name and his, <laughs> how that happened <laughs> or his other name um but uh and foxy because he was just good um so foxy was died foxy was was one of the best of them he he wound up dying he didn't make it to show i think he colicked and died the one you're talking about arkansas i feel like i gotta fill in backstory on that now so <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted to or not. <laughs> I, it wasn't my fault. That all happened before I ever got there. So yeah, I know. you <laughs> so were not managing was, the herd at that point. <laughs> this was right around the time that DNA started to become something where where they would pull hair and send it in, and stallions would be registered. And I don't, I don't think they were doing mares necessarily at that point. It was more to make sure that uh, you legitimately had the semen you were supposed to have and that kind of thing, and and you weren't you know, fudging anything or stealing something. So there was an accidental breeding between a brother and a sister, or it was at least suspected. And that was Arkansas's. Uh, and I was the one that named him. We were in North Mississippi and I figured uh, brother, sister love required a, a, a name like Arkansas there. So, and he was actually the best colt out of the whole group. And we did find out later on what the the horse that was running off really bad was named Pete Bolding after one of Lee's friends. And that was, that was the sire of Arkansas. He was, he was supposed to be out of Pete Bolding's sire, Pepinita's Acre, but uh, it was a brother sister deal. And that was a bad little horse. I mean, he was, 
he was like riding a spider. I mean, his legs could go any direction, any he just he was something. So I do know I lost touch with most of those horses, but when they went off to their little futurities and stuff, they won 60 grand or something within the first couple of months. So I really always felt like that was the best set of two-year-olds I had ever seen. I was I was incredibly proud of them. And they went off and, and kicked butt. So so we did it. Uh, yeah, there was going to say, that's because you had such good help. You know, that was, yeah. there was a good trainer and there was good help. You know, everything just shaped up. But. Buffalo, yeah. We, we, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like the preemie baby that has everything against it and they got to fight so hard and they wind up becoming an Olympic champion later on in life or something. That's kind of what that set of horses like. Training and cutting horses for a year with no cows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, big bar and scrape after a horse show to get enough cows to yeah that was i think my my normal deal there and you were involved in that too we would start riding in the summer at about two in the morning and we would go through all of them and be done by nine or ten and then i would do my ranch management stuff we'd take a little siesta in the afternoon and then we would start back up at maybe six o'clock in the evening and ride until like 10 o'clock at night and so they were, instead of getting a good night's sleep, it was kind of two long naps that we would get. But I think we produced a heck of a group of horses right there and got yeah, most, all of the trainer rejects. We got them all to win in check. So I feel like we, I fulfilled all of my ends of the bargain on that deal anyway. It's funny when you're younger, like I don't remember those mornings being that early. I remember them always being early on, you know, the horse shows, but you're right. We probably, we were pulling hours earlier at the farm than we were at horse shows oh yeah and then when like when the shows would end that we were having there that was my only opportunity for those two-year-olds to see cattle so but yeah. when the show would end i'd have that little window between when the truck driver could leave and the show would end and we'd go and work cattle from 11 o'clock at night till four o'clock in the morning or whatever until the truck driver had to load them up and haul them off that was a that was an interesting time of life. I don't think at 44, I don't know that I would look at, at that and go, yeah, I'm willing to jump in there and do that. That's no problem. But when you're 25 or, or 18, you're at what sleep, you know? So, Ty, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Daniel? Happy wife, happy life, right? People don't realize that's really a terroristic threat, right? If a man were to say, do what I want or I'll make you miserable, he's an abusive bastard. But a woman says it to him and is like, yeah, that makes total sense. Huh? Okay, we're going to go with that. <laughs> We're psychologically abusive to the entire society. <laughs> right? And toxic masculinity is what we have to watch. Out for. You, know, you know why every little girl needs a kitten, though? Needs what? Why, why every little girl needs a baby kitten. Why is that? It's to show them so they learn what an abusive relationship's like. I've never known a little girl who didn't just torment the hell out of a little cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my... my um. <clears throat> You know, you, you meet your wife and everything's great. And she's cute and you got that attractive thing. April and her whole family were cat people. And I had no idea what a change that was. I just kind of was dismissive. Oh, it's, you know, it's still an animal, right? You know, and like 20 years later, that's the advice I'd have given to my younger self is like, when you meet that chicken, she's so into cats, you just. Or, or be willing to deal with it. <laughs> just know what you're getting into. Yeah. Uh, Cats and Brahma cows. I mean, if I, should I have known better or should I have known better? Right? I, I was going to say it was perhaps the combination of between the show cows and the cats. That should have been some red flag somewhere. <laughs> yeah. If I don't, 
Let me tell you, I hate show cows. I really, really do. That that's one of those things that, man, that, that I, I can't stand it. It's the most ridiculous. I don't know. Ty, did you ever show cattle or anything like that? Oh yeah, oh, I, he I, shows cows. No, I, I showed a lot of cattle, but I'll be honest. The fun part of showing cattle was when I hired on a couple of show strings. There's almost no work. You lead them from tieouts and you rinse them, blow them out, and then just keep them clean the rest of the day. And you sit around and drink beer and chase other cow show women. So it was great for me. Like the but, part of it that I don't get is that like your only job is to halter break this damn thing. And none of them are halter broke. It's like a like a halter horse. Like all you do is walk in there yeah. and go, here's my cow, you know, and I keep trying to get pressure and release in their head. It's just it, it just drives me up the wall. But anyway, I, I digress. Plus do you have a donkey? Do a donkey, a donkey? yeah, we do. We have a high performance donkey. We have Aston Martin. <laughs> yep, that, that's very necessary. But you can ask Heather though. All my cow showing work is what made me such a good ground hand on horses because yeah. I knew how to throw things off their weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. Heather never understood that until we started calving some cows and she realized just how much power you can have on a cow and those weren't halter broke those were just mm-hmm. in trouble <laughs> yeah. yeah again my expertise in cows was dairy cows I, as far as i knew that they came when you called twice a day and they went into the milk parlor that's all i know about cows <laughs> and they don't have a whole lot of fight in them anyway they're about half dead all the time so yeah 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 except for the bull and that's yeah that's why you don't keep any of them around the dairy bulls are crazy they'll yeah they're a different breed, but I personally know three people that have been killed by a cow. All three were killed by a former show cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got that ass Charlotte bull. The reality is, you can't get within a hundred feet of him unless you put him in a pen or something where you know you don't have a choice. But out there in the pasture, there's really no anyway. Whereas the Halterbroke bull will come and talk to you, you know. So anyway, yeah. Have you ever told Daniel the story about the? Oh, the Spanish bull got in with our cows. Oh, I'm sure it happens, but I'm that was back when we were at the new Bloomfield place, and we were what we had about 15 pairs up there. Yeah, we had about 15 pairs, and I had a bull running with them. And the neighbor's little uh Spanish pointy horn bull got in there with them, and I went out there. And when and I say got in with him, he ran through three fences, tore down three of our fences to get in with these. Peppers. So, when you say Spanish, do you mean like a Corinti or do you mean like an Andalusian fighting bull? Like a fighting bull. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he was pretty mean. And and our bull, it was hysterical when we walked out there that morning because I'm seeing horns in their, our field of, you know, Angus cows. And well, there's a problem. And B, we, we couldn't find our bull. I'm counting heads and he's missing. Well, he's over in the other complete end of the pasture. Like, hey, dude, you brought a knife to this fight. <laughs> but yeah. The, the greatest part of that whole deal, though, is, yeah, so Ty calls the neighbors, stays home from work. I went to work. Um, hey, you come, need to come get your bull. They come over with their horses to get him into the trailer. Hey, Ty, you might as well go for it. Oh, actually oh, it, it, was, it was really flawless as far as that went. They came over, unloaded the horses, roped him. They pulled the, they pulled the trailer up in the pasture, roped him, and were dragging him on. Dad got off his horse to do something. And I see him come flying up over top of the trailer. That bull hooked him under his armpit. And it, and it yeah. came out like almost touched his chin. 
when he threw him up like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm like, all right, this is like, he didn't just get thrown. Like, oh, that's what I'm used to. You know, whenever you, I don't work with horned cattle. When I see somebody get hit, oh, they just flew up in the air, got the wind knocked out of them. I go over there and like his rope and glove is like dripping down his, like it's arterial bleeding mm -hmm. at this point. I'm like, this is serious, serious. And so I pick him up and throw him in the truck. And I tell his boy, I'm like, hey, get the horses out of here, leave the trailer, whatever. Shoot the damn boy. We'll take care of this later. He didn't kill anything yet. So we'll, I'll take care of it later. Uh, he's passing out on the way into the hospital versus the hospital is only about 10 minutes away. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I made it faster than that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And so I get in there, get him dropped off, let his wife know. I go back home and I'm in all intent. I'm like, all right, we're just going to shoot this bull and we're going to go from there. Like we're going to end this. Well, his older son hears about all this and is like, oh, no, no, you can't shoot him. Me and Tuffy will come get him. Well, all right, did you, when Obama first got elected, there was a rodeo cowboy that put on an Obama mask and all that deal. That was Tuffy. He was from Missouri. Okay. So that I remember rodeo, that. Yep. <laughs> that. That rodeo clown comes out here and he's like, oh, no, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. I'm like, I'm carrying a gun. I don't care. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll help y'all. I'll to, be fine. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> and so they come out there and yeah, he like, he busts the radiator in the truck because we're trying, he's trying to fight him on foot here. And of course, he's got the truck to keep him from the bull getting him. Plus the radiator in the truck. So that's one good thing. Then he runs out of my pasture, doesn't take any cows with him. So I'm like, okay, this is over. You know, I'm done. I go down and start fixing fence. Well, then they're like, oh, we finally got a rope on him again. He's back here in the brush. Help me bring the trailer over. Okay, I can do this. Trying to be neighborly. Yeah, I go up, you know, yeah, drive the truck back. And I'm like, all right, you're going to drive the truck. I'll drive your truck. And we'll get back in there. Back in the brush, like we're backing over evergreen trees that are like this big around, like just boom. Trailer rides up, smashes them down. I'm like, I don't know how you're getting out of here, but okay. So it's the rodeo cowboy, the guy's son and me back in here. And they're, you know, well, we get threaded this way, threaded that way. All right, ropes start breaking. He was all right. He had four ropes on him at this point, three of which are broken, one's still good. And we're working on this. And ropes on it. Oh, I got another. I got another rope over in the truck. So the sun runs out on us. Just me and the cowboy, or me and the rodeo clown over there. He looks at me. He's like, "That bull really wants to hook somebody." So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna jump in the suicide door, and as soon as he jumps on, you just shut the gate. When my mind, I'm like, I'm not at risk with this. So yeah, we're good. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that bull can't get out the suicide door. <laughs> so all right, we do that. Like I, he and the bulls. Like he can see the open door. I, I feel the trailer kind of shake whenever Tuffy jumps on it. And that bull just rockets. I get the door shut, get slammed. And he's like, oh man, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm like, no, that is the opposite <laughs> of fun. He's like, oh. That's the stupidest thing yeah. in the world. He's like, well, we're gonna, like, all right, now you got him loaded. What are you going to do with him now? Oh, I'm going to take him home and put him in the pen. I want to fight him in a controlled situation. Good for you. Good. You're here. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's about... 40 miles from our place to where his place was in Glasgow, Missouri, down two interstates. That bull is so mad. By the time they get him to Glasgow, he's like, every time somebody passes him, he hits the trailer and he's broken both of his horns off to the nubs. Like he's almost bled that. out. Yeah. And they had to kill him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
The whole time I'm at work getting these update phone calls every 30 minutes, and I'm like, are you shitting me? Yeah. Like, you know? like, this is literally something you can't, like, you have to be there. Yeah. And I'm there, and I still don't hardly believe it. Do you mind if I include this in the podcast, Ty? Oh, no, this is fine. <laughs> this is 100% true. This is a hell of a story, yeah. <laughs> So my wife and I don't really have a whole lot of cattle. Her older sister has a menagerie. And so most of the ones that the boys wind up showing are for her. And, and her, their literal goal, both of them, is to own one of every breed of cow. So they can look out the kitchen window drinking coffee and there is one of everything you can imagine. So my sister-in-law a few years ago, her husband gives her a Scottish Highland for a gift. And has this little bull who at the time is, and he's little. I mean, he's like a big lab, but with long hair. You know, he, he's like that size. And so Wyatt decides, you know, yeah, I'm going to show him. You could watch the horns on this thing grow. By the time he was a year old, his horns were probably 18 inches long. It was nuts. And you'd get in the trailer with him, and he knew exactly where the tip of those things were. I got to where I'd puncture a tennis ball and put it on there. She'd go load him up in the trailer and he'd have you between him and the wall and he'd just start to working on your ribs and all of that. So he was getting a little too mean by the time he was a year old. We showed him for a year and then then that he went out to pasture. But the, the last show that Wyatt showed him, and I have a friend that's got a kilt. Uh, and for those that may not know, Wyatt is a redheaded kid. So we had him in the ring with a Scottish Highland wearing a kilt. And the redhead boy in there, I've got some pictures, and it, it's great. One of those memorable little highlights. So yeah. take advantage, right? Yeah, yeah. Take advantage of it where you can. <laughs> so, so here's the real question. Did that fighting bull breed any cows, and you had calves that you had to deal with that are trying to run oh. you over? <laughs> the funny thing about that, yeah, they're, the one that must have been in heat that he came across for, there, yeah, because when we went to ship those, all the calves had calved out at about the same time, except for this one cow. And yeah, her calf, there was a screw loose in that one. And he never grew. He never grew. He never grew. He I mean, I sold yeah. that calf. He was about eight months old. He still weighed about 600 pounds. And he was somebody else's problem after that. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah, I'm sure he settled one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't stay long to see if he had horns or not. No, <laughs> he didn't stay long enough for that. <laughs> Yeah. That little Highland bull is kind of like that too. He still waist high. Now he's like three years old and he's waist high, but she uses him for cleanup. So he goes on commercial Angus cattle and produces these little hairy faced red calves. And, and it's, uh, she thinks it's hilarious, you know, Yeah, no uh, joke. <laughs> but like we fed the mess out of that bull. I, 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 there was a time I figured out what his feed conversion was and, you know, it was not good. I mean, he would eat a whole lot of feed and he would not hardly, but of course, South Louisiana is not the place for a cow with four inches of long hair all over his body. We'd have to keep a fan on him and a mister and all that constantly. And he'd be panting and sweating and he was a miserable little dude, but. She just body clipped him all the oh, time. I, I would have, they would have shot me if I had done that. Yeah. That would <laughs> That'd have been a big problem. I, you know, my best, the most fun with that was we'd go to a show and we'd have him tied up and there'd be a line of people coming around. You know, you get bored, you're walking around and they find out this little woolly thing is in the barn and, and there's constantly people coming by. And finally, somebody's going to say, you know, hey, what is that? 
and this was around the time the Zika virus hit, and I was just having a blast with, with all that kind of stuff. This is what happens when Zika happens to a Brahma. You get this weird mutation, and boom. Really <laughs> is. And then, then uh, you know those real big high tensile electrical lines? Well, our place is under that, and this calf was born. And to be honest, we're not sure what happened, but uh, he's, he's going to go to the university vet school when we're done with this show. And they're going to do some radiation tests on him. And I mean, I did everything I could think of. I was, I really believe that kids, if you just spectacularly lie to them, they will vote better later in life. It builds those skills. And, and, uh, anyway, their, uh, their BS barometer is trained better at a younger age. You need to know that adults will lie to you, right? And that changes your yes. whole perspective on the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They need to know not to trust the adults. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yep. Oh. Well, well, Ty, now that we've got you on here, you want to plug your kennel? Uh, Heather talked about it a little bit earlier, but... but Oh, um, yeah. No, I'm. Uh, that's actually why I'm actually in the house in the middle of the day. I'm getting ready to go down to uh, Conway, Arkansas and run a hunt test this weekend. I've got two a dog running started, a dog running seasoned. Um, we just got done running the uh, the grand up here in St. Louis. This is not going to be quoted statistics, but somewhere around 848 dogs started the grand. Only 300 made it to the second day, and they only passed about 175. So that's the, the top of the top, me and a uh, bunch of buddies from oh, actually a lot of folks from down in Louisiana that I knew from down there mm-hmm. came up and pre-trained with me so that's a big long deal getting done with that got a few dogs like I said I'm finishing up hunting tests on now and just getting ready to hunt so this is kind of kind of wrapping down the year it's been a good year but I've had, I don't know how many dogs I've finished out this year but it's been been full and been good most of what I'm doing is lab work now still do a little bit of point dog work but there's a there's a there's two groups of pointing dog people there are people who are like you know my grandpa used to bird hunt and i want to start doing it again and then there's that kid's grandpa that says i want one more good dog but i'm not going to train it <laughs> and that, that, that's who that's who comes to me on the pointing dog yeah so i've, no. I've had english setters and i i love them but when i first got into that stuff you look up everything these english pointers and I, I mean, I guess it's different where y'all are at in the prairies, but if a dog is 800 yards away from me, he's 700 yards from me being able to see him. You know, it's, it's way too thick and stuff <laughs> around here. So I like these setters that go a little slower and stay a little closer, and, and uh, we have a real good time with them. I think my first one that I had, this one hadn't reached his first hunting season yet, but that first one, I'd killed about 75 birds over him his first year, and that was mostly woodcock and ducks. And he would actually retrieve ducks and water and everything. He would shake, you know, he, and he didn't have the cold tolerance that a lab had, but he was a darn good dog. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's the thing. It, 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 there's any kind of birds is good for a dog. I mean, I'm doing most of my dogs on pigeons and got a few chuckers here and there, the pen raised chuckers. Mm-hmm. I can't have any quail because I don't want to pay for a permit and get checked on all that stuff. So I, I use non-native birds yeah. around. I'll hunt wild birds with them. Now, that'll kind of deal on that. It's still fun. That's how I got started. You know, well, I guess coon hounds were how I really got started. But then it was bird dogs. And then the, the labs is what's really taken off and done well for me. Well, cool. 
So we're kind of realizing your dream here. Heather told me when all this started, you had passed the message that what I really needed to do was interview the spouses of these horse people for all the crazy crap that they have to deal with. So I guess we're getting into that right now. Tell the truth behind what actually happens. Yeah. So Ty, what is, with your wife standing right here in front of you, what is the single worst thing you have to put up with being married to a crazy horse girl? I can well, <laughs> all right, I, I will tell you that, that all right, and now coming just a little history on me. You know, we're row crops and cattle around here. I got into horses a little bit, you know, we had a horse growing up kind of deal, we never did anything with it. And then, you know, got into college, got into horses a little bit more then, started getting a little bit more respect for it. But then no, once we're like at the current stage right now, like I don't fully comprehend how breakable horses are. I mean, I'm, to me, to me, I still have that little bit of a mentality of, you know, if I can't, you know, if he falls and breaks his leg, I can't shoot him and pack my tack out. That horse is too valuable. Somebody else needs to own it. But no, the, uh, uh, I, I'm still, when we've been married for 13 years, yeah. I'm still working to get a full respect for the level of horses and the level of care and what, what's necessary for these horses that Heather has. I mean, she's got a world champion in a lot. I've got a horse that I bought from a guy that had a stableman's lean on it and supposedly rode uh, wheat pastures out in Kansas. I mean, he's not super sound, but he's great for me because I can go throw a saddle on him. Doesn't matter if he's been ridden last week, last month, or last year. He rides the same. I went, I went and calved a bunch of heifers on him last winter, and uh, he is ideally for me. But if I go out there tomorrow and he's feet first, yeah. then well, he doesn't owe me anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm, but no, I, I, I still can't really comprehend the high level care that show horses need. That's the biggest thing that I would recommend to people. I would say that some of them are, or a lot of them are overcared for, yeah, but, you I, know, you got yeah. these that are bubble wrapped and all that stuff. I don't, I don't play those games. My horses are horses. Yeah. I, you know, it, it goes. Oh, no, there's a happy, I mean, yeah, there's I've, a happy and I, I have a tremendous respect for, for Mikey. Heather's horse and everything. And I do, he's, he is an amazing athlete. You know, he's just, just like anything else, but no, I, I don't fully understand the, the level of care he needs to stay at that level mm-hmm. kind of deal. And he's a prima donna. We always talk, we, we talked a little bit on Mikey and stuff, but he yeah. is a prima donna. And if he is going to do anything to hurt himself, it will be while I'm gone for a weekend horse judging somewhere. Guaranteed. Or, well, like he'll just decide <laughs> like, you know, this summer she was gone for a while and uh let's say don't miss fly mask on today and I'm like you can't go without your fly mask i know you have to have it on you're gonna get eye infections and all kinds of stuff like that but yeah. like like i said he's a prima donna yeah, I, get an I, eye infection. <laughs> and that's my thing like you know if he doesn't want to behave would he, really, though, would he really get an eye infection i mean come on no he has he, 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 he has would, he would on deal. my watch that's the thing <laughs> and no he'll understand that i you know, I take care of him. We have mutual respect. I've never ridden him, but I don't. I don't think he'd go well. Well, that would be my next question. Yeah, April has ridden Curly three or four times, and she does not like him. He, um, she, well, a lot of people have this problem when I when they ride him, but they can't ride him in a straight line. They wind up doing the drunken sailor uh, kind of a thing. It's because yeah. he's too sensitive, and they don't realize how much they're doing stuff yeah. and he listens to it and that you know he wanted to, so that was my next question was have you have you ever ridden like 
an open level horse because for a lot of people, they think that's going to be a dream. And the reality is that's going to be a disaster. It's like giving a 15 year old a Ferrari. It's just all your yeah. little mistakes are going to be. <laughs> yeah, no, I've ridden, I've ridden, I've ridden some higher end horses, but he's my, behind me. Just not that. Yeah. yeah. Just not my gelding. <laughs> and uh, what, what I'd say on that is high level horses, just like you're talking about you, a good horse can cover up for a bad rider. A high level horse like that is just going to be a high level horse. He's going to magnify your problem, not cover them. Mm -hmm. A good horse will do just that. He knows what he's supposed to, and he's going to do it no matter what you tell him to do. Yeah. Like the difference between right. a, a hunt test dog and a hunting dog, right? But, yeah. 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 No, that's true. To be handled and the one that's going to well, go find it up. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, that's, it's a difference in level on that. It's, and I, I'm not, near as good a rider as Heather is, but I'm also not the, the retarded spouse that, you know, <laughs> doesn't know which end to comb kind of deal. Yeah, no. mm -hmm. And same thing with Heather and the dogs, you know, yeah. she, she doesn't like my, my good dog's name's Lassiter. She doesn't run him in tests and things like that. I did that she, once and I stopped. But she can't. <laughs> I mean, she can't. Well, yeah. she, she ran him in a started test. And uh, if you're just a started test, you walk to the line, your dog's on lead, you can hold him. They throw one bird. He picks it up, brings it back to the area, and then you grab hold of him again, that throw another bird, picks it up, brings it back to the area. He, he was so amped up. My, I'm surprised we kept him after that. Heather was so mad at him. Well, it was complete opposite. We practiced everything at the house. He'd been perfect, you know, and we go to this hunt test, and I have a raving lunatic on the end of a leash. Like, he's walking yeah. on his hind legs to the starting line, and I'm like, he what the hell on. is this? <laughs> we didn't practice this shit. <laughs> oh, and, and what did the judge ask you? Yeah, and I was going to say, you were talking about how, yes, having some problems with uh, going in the arena, showing. Yeah, so I get up to the line, and the judge looks at me, and I'm expecting that I'm um, horse show background, my back number. Everything's off a of back number, right? They asked me what's my dog's name, and I, like, drew a complete blank, and I'm standing there staring at the judge going, well, I don't know. And I thought they wanted his registered name. I'm like, hell, we registered the dog. We've owned him since he was eight weeks old. I can't remember his registered name. Standing there staring at her. And she's like, well, do you know his name? I'm like, no, ma'am, I, I don't know his name. And she's like, well, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and he said something that I yelled at him. I was like, Lassiter, sit. And she's like, well, you, you know his name. His name's Lassiter. I was like, well, I thought you wanted to show me. Like, I, what about a back number? Can I help you with anything but <laughs> his call name? Yeah. yeah, that was my first and last time. I, I came out of that experience for the day. He got his ribbon. We, we made it, you know. I handed the leash to him, and I was like, I'm done. That, that's it. Good luck. It, he can be my little house dog whenever you're done. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. Each, each uh, spouse should have to get a taste of what the other is is uh doing there you know gives a little mutual respect and everything yeah no i completely agree yeah. i thought he was going to throw me under the bus for being too judgy he's always asking me about it. and i'm like wait it's my job on the weekends i'm supposed to be judging i'm judgy about everything <laughs> yeah I, I have to admit i was expecting a personal attack right there that's what i'd have gone for i mean it'd have been jugular if someone asked me that with april right next to me but but uh you took the high road and i mean hey that's if you want to be that insufferable nice person that's that's fine i mean you, but that was your chance i mean it's just it's not coming yeah. back around again ty that was your chance so <laughs> so is millie gonna be a, a dog girl or a horse girl or or both or there's got to be a pull one stronger one way or another it's 
you know, at her age, it depends on the day and the week, which mm-hmm. way it goes. There's some weeks that she's got a little mini for her, and she's all about Cloud, the mini pony. And we got to go, you know, drive Cloud and do something with Mikey and ride Mikey and practice for the horse show. And then there's weeks where she could care less about even feeding the horses. And she just wants to go with Daddy and do the dogs. But, mm-hmm. You know, Maudie's her dog down at the kennel. And she just wants to go and train Maudie and help with the puppies and everything. And so it, it depends on the week. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. Those, those, there need to be more farm kids out there. That's one of the things people are sometimes kind of sh- shocked about the stuff that I'll talk about with my kids standing right there. And I'm like, hey, we, we don't hide anything from them. If I've got a colt getting castrated, my three-year-old boy is going to watch it happen. If we have a colt that's born, they're going to watch it come into this world. And unfortunately, they've watched a few leave this world. And, and uh, yeah. But again, they vote better, right? They, they know about reality when, when uh, yeah. the world hadn't been hidden. It's tough, yeah. Yeah. It's tough yeah. lessons, but you know, well, what this past year, we've lost four dogs, three dogs, four dogs. Three dogs. It was yeah. it was three dogs, and it, it old age and, and sickness problems. You know, just things that happened when they um, they weren't training dogs. None of them were training dogs. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, and you know, it's reality. You know, at three, she shouldn't have had to deal with you know losing that, but it happened. She mm-hmm. learns from it, mm-hmm. moves on. Yeah. yeah. So, but no, I, whatever she wants to do in life, as long as she's all in and she goes full bore for it. Yeah. That's totally fine. Except for barrel racing. No barrel racing. <laughs> but what about Western <laughs> Pleasure? I mean, you were pulled out of that pit. You would let her go into it? Well, I I would I, I go with the fact she'll be smart enough not to do that. So I, I think I'm okay there. You know, mm-hmm. the the speed and, you know, the, the money in the barrels, that may, may pull her that direction. But so far, she she's more if she wants to do anything fast, it's the jumping. And I'm fine with that. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally fine mm-hmm. with it. If she wants to go, I've got friends that do jumping. She can go visit them. So, yeah. yeah. As long as whatever she wants to do, as long as she wants to strive to be, to really excel at it, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. I mean, you know, if she wanted to get into agility training in dogs, I'll help her get there. I have no idea what to do, but I mean, that's as long as she has that drive to do, you know, and that might be the thing, you know, she might not want to do ranch or stuff or do dog work, but whatever whatever she does want to do as long as she's committed to it we'll help her do it yeah. Yeah. i'm kind of like you though i'd prefer she didn't want to show cattle <laughs> just because i know i, know I don't cow- want her to show cattle. <laughs> i was gonna say i don't want her to show cattle. Well, okay? <laughs> the danger part is nothing to me because we never we never have that many dangerous cattle to mm-hmm. me now y'all dealing with your brahmas that's a whole different bear to deal with down there but no, I, I don't want to do the show cattle deal just because I remember what I was like when I was running around there. <laughs> you don't and, want her running. Yeah, I don't want her to meet I don't want her to meet a guy like I was then. And you know, yeah. you, and you can't you can't separate those guys when they're all, you know, 18 to 22 years old. Yeah. You, know, you don't know which ones will be able to kick it and which ones won't. So <laughs> stay out of stay out of that realm for a while. <laughs> you know, I, the pleasure well, I can't tell on podcast. I said the pleasure horse guys are less dangerous. I'll just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> you, you can explain why. Kind of like the, the English trainers. Yeah, you, you don't have to worry about your daughter around them so much, right? For the most yeah. part. Yeah. You're pretty safe, yeah. <laughs> your, your son, you might have to, but your daughter's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well. 
Yeah, we'll have to edit uh, that blooper out. <laughs> do you have to write the podcast, or is it just pretty much anybody can? Yeah, yeah it, 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 we're, we're the goal is to be candid. I'm not going to cut that out. It, it'll be all right. That's it's life. <laughs> oh, I have to say, like we we really haven't had too much issue on the Brahma side. Uh, like that little Highland was kind of a getting dangerous sort of. A, he was like. Heather, you ever had a, a little stud that was way too steady for how old he was? That was like this little bull. You know, you expect a two- or three-year-old bull to be getting pretty bullish, but he was a yearling and bullish, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I just – I had my leg broken here. I, I'm just getting healing up and off of crutches right now. And that was by a commercial Angus steer. That were, That's the first uh, steer we've ever done. And, and he got me down in just kind of the wrong, wrong place, wrong time. Boom. We did have a pretty funny um, Colt's first heifer, a little Brahma heifer, a little gray Brahma heifer. And pulling her off of the donkey, she had a little fight in her. And it was the first time we had ever handed him off. And there he is. And he's walking along. And she kind of went to to hook at him two or three times. We actually caught this on video. And the third time she went at him. He turned around. And he's left-handed, so it was perfect. And, I mean, he just popped her between the eyes. Just pop, pop, pop. About three times right between the eyes. And they have been the best of buddies ever since. <laughs> he completely fixed that. And, and he can do whatever he wants to with her right now. So, a little tough love there. But that was a proud dad moment, I have to say. Watching yeah. him do that. <laughs> well, yeah, Millie's had a couple moments with my gelding when she's leading him around. And he does. He gets nosy. He's known for being way too <laughs> for his own good and she will just haul off and slug him whenever he's being naughty like that and then he's like eh, all right and he puts his head back up like all right we're just walking along but yeah pretty pretty cool moment when they just figure it out <laughs> what more important lesson could a kid learn than that right there yeah. everybody needs an attitude adjustment every once in a while exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right well we've been talking quite a while i don't know exactly how long but want to yeah. leave it Right here, was there anything else you wanted to cover or talk about? Or, Ty, you have anything you want to pitch in there? Oh, no, not really. (laughs) Man, did you miss the opportunity? Do it. I just appreciate stopping in and being included for a little bit. So, (laughs) well, I think you got some husband points passing up that softball that I pitched earlier. So, you can milk that for a while now. (laughs) (laughs) You can hold on a while okay I, I perfectly well know where I, what i'm bad at and that's being judgy yeah <laughs> uh, yeah it's all part of the profession i'm, I'm sure ty's pretty t- picky with dogs at times and stuff like that so that's all if if you uh you don't know what you're looking at and you can't be picky about it you're probably not going to improve are you so that's exactly <laughs> that's yep yeah. that's always striving to get better and you know trying to always hit for 100 percent. that's yeah you, you got to have a harsh reality of what's standing in your barn and what, what you're actually doing in order to get better. Yeah. I can't, on the judging side of things, like if I had to judge a hunter class or a pleasure class or something like that, I would have no idea where to start. You know, it's like, okay, they're all slow and crippled. I don't, I don't know what uh, which one is less crippled or what, what am I supposed to uh, favor here, you know? But anyway. I know, just a beginner judges, it's pretty funny. The, the seat that you don't ride so if you're a western person when you're starting out judging you judge better the hunt seat horses because you have no preconceived notion of how that's supposed to go you're just picking the best horse 
And it's the same way. The hunters have a better job of picking the Western horse because they're just, hey, this seems like a good idea. So until they, you know, learn stuff where it evens the playing field a bit, but yeah. All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and end things right there. Ty and I continue to talk about dogs for another 20 or 30 minutes, but I don't think we need to subject y'all to that. So thank you for listening. I hope it's been enjoyable for you. Again, if you're on a service that allows you to, please give us a, a rating and a review and all that good stuff. And uh, we'll bring another one to you in about a week or so. Thank you much.